0: This is a multi-part episode. If you've not listened to the previous parts, please go back and do so. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it.
1: just given the fact that that they believe that there's another chance after this life. Um, And and I'll go ahead and ask you first, Paul, but do you believe that Protestant Christianity is
0: a safer bet than Mormonism? Why or why not? So if if I understand the question correctly, I would say yes, because I'm laying all my money down on Jesus' obedience and righteousness, being sufficient to save me, give me peace with God by exchanging his righteousness for my unrighteousness, and to bring me to God. If I'm wrong about that, and Mormonism is right, then I have not done all that I can do to earn exaltation. At best, I'd inherit the terrestrial kingdom, the second level of the three degrees of heaven that LDS teachings say exist, and at worst, I might be a son of perdition for rejecting the LDS gospel. But in any case, that bet requires me to bring a whole lot more as table stakes and to win every hand. So... I'll stick with Jesus and take that bet all day, every day. All right, awesome, Matthew. What do you think?
2: I say amen to that. It's it's kind of a modification of Pascal's wager. You know, instead of speaking of atheism and Christianity, it's Christianity and Mormonism. But I agree wholeheartedly. Um, one thing I would mention too is I was just thinking about how some people who would still follow under the umbrella of believing in in you know what we're talking about, you know, trusting in Christ alone to save them, like Lutherans and Anglicans. A lot of times they wouldn't qualify themselves as Protestants. They would you know, they kinda consider them something else, sort of. So I would I would say that for those people in those groups we're not we're not trying to cut them off from the kingdom or anything like that. Um, we spoke in our episode about which church is true, about how it's not about which church organization you're in or, you know, what labels you take on, but do you trust in Christ as, as Paul said. So I don't know if that's an aside that's that's meaningful or not, but I just thought about that when I read reread your question. Some people might think, "Oh, I'm well, I'm, I don't consider myself Protestant." So does that mean, you know, that I'm <laughs> I'm doomed?
1: Yeah, and and I notice this with myself a lot, especially after being Mormon for 32 years. I I find myself constantly, you know, def- like specifying instead of just saying Christianity, because I guess it's for for that Mormon audience that views Christianity as being so broad that anybody who says that they believe in christ regardless of their doctrine fits mm-hmm. under that umbrella and so to me i think i just do that naturally so that they so that they know what i'm talking about and i'm, I'm talking about those of us uh who believe in in faith alone or grace alone through faith alone
2: mm-hmm. okay yeah I, I agree with that I, I just see some of maybe one or two people you know protesting and saying hey you know you know lutherans are christians too <laughs> so yeah well if if
1: they're protesting <clears throat> then that's pretty protestant isn't it <laughs> so it's one point me
2: uh. <laughs> okay sorry uh. about that like i said i keep throwing a wrench into this machine so
1: yeah no it's it's good i think i think it needs to be said because mm-hmm. you know there's there's me who doesn't think like a christian all the time and I still find myself in that stuck in that LDS mindset, and I'm just clodding along, you know, stepping on everybody's toes as I go. So, yeah, I appreciate that.
2: Well, that's all good. So, yeah, I really don't have anything to add to that. I think Paul did a really great job.
1: Yeah, I, m- I, remember, uh, I just remember being a, a missionary, and sometimes I would have uh, Christians that I would talk to, and they would turn this on me, and they'd say, you know what, I don't see why I should join your church, because, you know, it's a safer bet to be... You know, evangelical or, or just Christian or whatever they were. And they'd say, because, you know, if, if you're right and I'm wrong, you know, I'm still going to go to the terrestrial kingdom. I'm still going to be with Jesus. You know, my eternity looks really good. But if you're wrong and I'm right, um, then your eternity doesn't look so hot. But it's interesting because I actually had the same validation come after leaving the church from, um, one of my family members who is he was a latter-day saint and he said you know michael i really don't worry about you because you know what you are a christian and you i can tell that you love christ and so i think i think you're gonna be fine and so it was kind of validation coming from the other side and said you know what i i wish i could say the same thing back to you but i do worry about your salvation you know i said uh if if mormonism is not a true gospel you know, then, then you are cursed. Um, you know, I don't believe that a false gospel can still save us. And and I don't believe there is another chance after this life to accept the gospel. This is all we have. And if you don't take that opportunity now, then you, you're you not going to have another chance. And, you know, he didn't like that. Latter-day Saints are, are very universalist in the way that they think. And I've even seen a lot of apologists lately Um, online say that even after you go to one of the three degrees of glory, there's still an opportunity to progress eternally to go from the telestial kingdom to the terrestrial and from the terrestrial to the celestial. And, and with that kind of viewpoint, there's no reason, in my opinion, to join the church during mortality. I mean, if it's true and, and it turns out that I'm wrong somehow, um, I'll be fine, you know, but, it's just not a wager that I'm willing to make, given what what I've seen in the Bible. So that's my thoughts on it. Question number five comes to us from one of our fireflies, TJ Trujillo. hope that's how, I, how you say your name. He has asked us to tell him about the freedom that we have
2: in Christ.
1: Matthew, would you like to go first on this?
2: Sure. Um, I think we've kind of talked a little bit about it in other episodes, but it's good to focus on This episode, since we're talking about salvation, but when we talk about freedom in Christ, as a Latter Day Saint, I thought it's something we brushed on, so I won't really go over in detail. But when we think of Christians, we think, oh, they're free in Christ; they're living by grace and kind of live however they like. Uh, They're not, you know, they don't really focus so much on keeping the commandments. It's not really a priority for them. Those kind of things. But that's not really what freedom in Christ is. It's not freedom to to sin, and we're going to talk more about that in the antinomian question toward the end. I think so. I'll, I'll wait for that. But freedom in Christ, to me, it just means that when i place my trust in Christ, I can't remember exactly what night it was, but I do remember it was in the summer of 2016. I was just so burdened by all the things I'd been struggling with. You know, I was I was really struggling with my testimony. I'd read so much. It seemed like the more I read, the more confused I got. And I was just so filled with turmoil and despair. And I just lost all hope in the world. And I didn't really know what was going to happen. I was wondering, okay, am I going to get married or not? It was literally weeks away and I was thinking of leaving the church and I just couldn't believe, you know, how I'd gotten to that point. And I just got to a point where I just, you know, I, I can't remember if it was the same time period or later or earlier, but it was around that time period I just I was just kept grappling with these issues and I couldn't figure out what to do and I just turned to Christ in faith and I just said, "Lord, I don't I don't know exactly who you are right now. I'm trying I'm still trying to figure things out, but I just want you to save me. I could just—I just remembered saying that. I just remember saying the Lord, just please, just save me. And um, just like all—all all that pain and all that anguish and all that despair—it was just instantly gone. It was the most incredible experience I'd ever had in my life, and I felt like it, you know before I had kind of like had the warm tingles, you know, you kind of feel like you get when you're a Mormon when you read the Book of Mormon or things like that. But I—but this was just like completely head to toe, just washed away all that despair, all that that anger, all that all that frustration and um and ever since then you know now well prior to that i'll back up prior to that when i was a latter-day saint i felt like you explained in your intro michael how you desire righteousness you desire to please god you desire to do what the lord commands us to do but you, i just kept feeling like i've just kept falling over and over again into the mud and i just kept trying to pick myself back up and i saw the atonement as kind of like you know getting sprayed off spraying off the mud with a hose so you get back up on your feet. The atonement sprays you off. You're clean. You're good. You walk a couple more steps and you fall, you know, face first right back in the mud all over again. And I just felt like that all the time. Just like I could just never get free of it. I was just constantly just burdened by this weight. But now, you know, now that I trust in Christ and I sin, I I still have remorse for that sin and I still am grieved by it. But it's not in the same sense. I don't feel like my salvation is in jeopardy every time I, I mess up. Um, Feel like God calls me to repent of that and to turn to Him in faith and repentance again, but um, but I'm not constantly worried. Oh man, it, did I please God enough today? Am I, am I you know am I on the brink of you know falling off into the ravine and never coming back? It just it's just such a comforting knowledge to have to know that the Lord Jesus has died for my sins. He's paid the price for my sins, not just the ones I committed in the past, but the ones I've committed in the future, and that His righteousness is my righteousness. Just as if, I, just as if I were perfect in my works, but it's not my works. It's not my righteousness. It's His righteousness. It's just such a, it's just such a wonderful feeling to know that my salvation is secure, not in what I do, but what in what what He has already accomplished and what He has already done. And I really, and that's why I plead constantly with Latter Day Saints. You know, we're constantly trying to talk to them, trying to show them the differences between the LDS gospel and the biblical gospel because it's not the same. It's completely different. And when Latter-day Saints or Christians try to bridge that gap and say, oh, well, you know, we just have different ideas about the same thing, it's it's muddying the waters and it's really robbing Latter-day Saints of a freedom and a happiness and a joy to know that they're free, that they're free from their sins. They don't have to be shackled by them anymore. And so it's just a wonderful feeling. And that's, and it's not just, um, we're concerned about their eternal welfare also to know that I know that when I die, I'll be with the Lord. And that's just a pleasing, it's just so comforting, especially with everything that's going on, you know, with the pandemic going on right now, you know, it's, if I were to become sick and die, you know, I, I trust in Christ alone that, that I would be with him. So that's just really comforting. And when we see everybody, you know, getting upset and distraught over all the things that are happening in the world it really brings a lot of comfort and that's what we desire to share with Latter-day Saints.
0: Awesome. Paul, you want to add anything to that? Yeah. So um trying to place when we took this trip, but um, probably about nine years ago, maybe um, I took a trip with my parents from, from the Cincinnati area down to Dallas, Texas to visit my brother and, and we drove down um, and I there was one point in the trip where my dad was sleeping in the back and my mom and I were sitting in the, in the front seats and, um, I was driving and I, I put, uh, my iPod on, uh, a, a uh, collection of, you know, old hymns uh, sung by Alan Jackson, the the country star. And, um, one of the, one of the hymns, it, you know, it was blessed assurance. And, and if I, if I was any kind of a singer, Cynthia, I would, um, I would sing it, but I, but I love the lyrics of that blessed assurance. Jesus is mine, right? Um, and we, when we talk about freedom in Christ, that's it. Matthew, Matthew covered it to a T. You know, um, you have freedom from guilt. You have freedom from fear that you are somehow not at peace with God. Um, and that that freedom, that assurance of your salvation, it's not for you to just trample on and go on sinning. But it has an incredible impact on your life and your identity, and so um, it's it's incredible. But there, there's also other freedom that that comes from being in Christ, and and even Jesus touched on it a little bit. Um, Matthew 15:10 to 20, Jesus says, uh, well, it says, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Those are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. And Paul the Apostle also touches on this. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about, um, specifically about meat, uh, offered to idols uh, within, you know, the the, the pagan Roman world uh, in which he was preaching, and he says, uh, beginning in verse twenty-three of chapter ten of First Corinthians says, "All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market, without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof." If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So there's, there's a freedom that comes, you know, the reason I raised those two passages is that um, I remember, you know, learning and, and studying through Matthew 15 as a Latter-day Saint, as part of, you know, elders quorum or, or, or some other, some other class in, 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 in Sunday school. And, you know, it, it, we talk often about, you know, sometimes on on the boards about what, uh, you know, what with regards to grace, what Latter-day Saints give with one hand, they take away with the other. Um, and, it, and it was often like that with these passages, too, right? Because of the word of wisdom, right? Um, it was always like, oh, Jesus says this, but it's really only applicable in his day. Now we've got the word of wisdom, so we shouldn't, you know, drink alcohol or coffee or tea or... And, you know, you you hear about, um, and, and and not just hear about, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like when I was a Latter-day Saint uh, teenager, um, you know, there were times I went to breakfast with my friends and, and drank a cup of coffee and I would feel horrible about it, you know, and beat myself up and think, you know, gosh, I've, I'm going to, you know, not be saved and not, not go to heaven because I drank some coffee, you know, and that kind of thinking continued even into my adult years you know, I'd be at work and just exhausted because I was up with, you know, the baby in the middle of the night, um, to give my wife a break. And, you know, I would go to the coffee, uh, station and get some coffee and I would feel bad about it, you know? And, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, the freedom that comes to not worry about those types of things, um, because they don't hinge at all on your salvation, your, your salvation doesn't hinge at all on that type of thing. Um, you know, it's really, really refreshing. And I, you know, with regards to um, alcohol and and, and drinking and, and, and that type of thing, I think it's important to say, you know, because Latter-day Saints have this view, right? That if you become a Christian and you're going to start drinking and you know, you just do whatever you want and, you know, sin all you want, you know, and, you know, that kind of mentality, you know, they, they almost quote verbatim sometimes, uh, what Paul says in Romans when he, when he quotes his, his, uh, critics, you know, um, but I think it's important to say that, you know, it, it, when you do those things, you, you shouldn't be beholden to them. Right. And it's important to, uh, refrain from getting drunk. Um, you know, the Bible teaches that, that you shouldn't get drunk. But it doesn't teach that drinking in and of itself is wrong. So um, I think it's important to note that. But uh, the freedom in Christ is, is kind of twofold. It's it's the it's the ability to uh, understand that you can partake with thankfulness um, in anything anything God has created, but also uh, you you have to do so responsibly, uh, as Paul says. You know, responsible to to those who uh, you know may take offense at what you do. So, um, yeah, that's my thoughts on that.
1: Awesome. One of the verses that came to mind while you were talking, Paul, was First Corinthians chapter ten, verses twenty-one through twenty-three. Uh, it says, "Ye cannot." Hold on. Am my, I my King James version? Hold on. I prefer the ESV here. Um, all right. Where was I? All right, starting in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then he goes on to say, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So I think kind of going along with what, what you were saying, Paul, about you know, drinking, you know, it's it's definitely something that we need to be very careful about, but we're not going to lose salvation over it. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now, there's there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I remember, and I really want to address TJ specifically here, but I remember when I left the church. When I walked out those doors for the last time, with the intention of never coming back, there was a, a nearly a physical weight that came off of my shoulders. I could just feel the difference. Like like there's just this load that I had been carrying around that was suddenly gone, and I'd never known that it was there until until it was lifted off of me. and, and I think to me that's what a lot of that freedom is, because as a Latter Day Saint. I was constantly watching myself at every little thing that I did and trying to measure it against the day before or the week before, because I believed that I needed to be a little bit better each day, um, so that I could be fully repentant by the time judgment day came. But as a Christian, you know, I remember, <laughs> I remember I, I became a Christian initially and I'm like, Oh my gosh, uh, I'm, I'm clean. I'm never going to sin again. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember sinning and just feeling the love of God immediately afterwards and, and just feeling reassured because I knew that God's love was unconditional, that there was nothing that I could do to, to stop being God's son. You know, he'd, he'd adopted me and, and imputed his righteousness to me and I couldn't unimpute that righteousness, I couldn't unadopt myself from God's family. And, and, uh, you know, when I was, when I was 16, I've talked about this in, in another episode, but I had this experience where, where I believe that Christ did, uh, did reveal himself to me all the way back then. And, and my sin was just laid bare before my eyes. Um, and it was just this experience where I just, I felt like God was telling me, like, you know, you are, are swift to to do evil and slow to do good, and you care more about your glory than you do about mine. And many of the things you do displease me, but I love you anyway. And and that is the God that I worship. And I just can't I just can't even describe the the freedom that that gives, knowing that I am. I am squarely in God's hand that nothing can pluck me out of that. Not even my own disobedience, not even, uh, I mean, you know, I talk to to a lot of Latter-day Saints and they say, well, as long as you don't give up and you keep trying and, and I'll ask them in return, you know, have you ever been depressed? Cause, cause I have, you know, I, uh, I went through a divorce pretty, pretty early on after I converted and I was depressed uh, oh, severely depressed. I remember going out and wishing that a bus would hit me just to, just to make my life easier. So I think that I, I did let go, but he never did. And that's the point that I want to get across to you with this freedom. But there's so much more, like, like Paul said too. Uh, there's, there's other freedom that comes along with it. And it's just ironic because in the church, They say that everything that they fought for in the pre-existence was for free agency, but then you can't, you can't really use it in the church because they tell you which ward to go to and what time to be there. They tell you what calling you are going to have and you better not decline that calling because that calling came from the Lord and, and how dare you decline that calling. But as a Christian, I can go to church. Wherever I want to go to church, uh, whatever church speaks to me is the one that I can go to. Um, I can go when I want to go. If I don't want to wake up at 8 o'clock, you know, there's nothing worse for me than having to go to a ward that had shifted its time for the entire year to 8 a.m. in the morning. Um, that was almost impossible for me. I can go dressed to church. How I want to, for the most part. I mean, yes, there are certain, certain boundaries that you don't cross. Um, one of the, the best things for me was, uh, my, my wedding to my current wife. We had a Lord of the Rings themed wedding simply because we could. <laughs> and, and our pastor, Pastor Cole, um, was awesome. He came and, and he did. And he even gave a Lord of the Rings message and, and it's like, look, I don't have to do this in a in a room of the temple. You know, I can do this. Um, I can do this my way. There's the freedom to do that. But one one other thing I just want to touch on because I know I'm going long here, but I remember being in a debate in one of these forums with some Latter Day Saints, and and I asked them, you know, do you believe that Jesus is an infinite being? <laughs> And, and eventually they said, yes, he's infinite, you know, because he did an infinite atonement, so he must be an infinite being. And I said, well, he says that the Father is greater than him, so how can you be greater than an infinite being? And for a few minutes there was no response. And then they started saying, oh, well, there's different levels of infinity. <laughs> you know, there's, I don't even remember how they described it. It was a little bit above my head, but just saying that, you know, there's infinity squared versus you know, infinity to the tenth power. I don't know, Matthew. Does that make any sense to you? Can we get the nuclear engineer in here? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Matthew. I need your help.
2: <laughs> yeah, there there are different. When you're talking about mathematics, there are different sets of num, You know, sets of infinity. So okay. you can get you can get to infinity faster in some sets than other ones. So yeah, there, I, when you were saying that, I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, it kind of makes sense mathematically, but I'm not sure if that transfers theologically.
1: Right. So I was talking to one of my family members who was in the forum about that incident a couple of days later. And I said, have you ever heard of Occam's razor? And he's like, no, what's that? And I said, well, it's, you know, it's basically saying that whenever there are two um, opposing viewpoints, the, the simpler explanation is usually true. And he got offended just because I said that, because he knew that that explanation was not the simplest explanation. And, and as a former LDS apologist. One of the freedoms that I enjoy so much is not having to force the answer of the church being true into every scripture that I read. You know, it, I think it's just really problematic to start with the answer and then try to force it into the problem. And now I can just look at the scriptures plainly without, without trying to skew them, without having to force them to to say a certain thing, and it is it is uh, liberating to be able to read the scriptures that way and just say, okay, what is Paul or what is Jesus trying to say, not what am I trying to make
0: them say. And thought, <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, that is good. Um, I, I just want to kind of kind of revisit First um, Corinthians 10 because Michael, both you and I went there, and um, I think I think it's important to cover in a little bit more detail. Um, and talk about, you know, how that applies to us today in, in regards to the freedom that we have in Christ, right? So, um, Paul's talking about meat sacrificed to idols bought at the market. And, you know, if you don't know, eat it. But if you do know, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And then he clarifies, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's else's conscience, right? And so how does that apply to us today? Um, I think it applies in at least one way, right? If you are someone, if you're a Christian who decides that you are going to drink alcohol, um, but you have a friend who is a recovering alcoholic or a recovered alcoholic, right? In AA and sober, you're not going to drink around that person for their conscience, not yours, Right. It's, it's that, that principle applied to a situation uh, of today, you know, but with the, with the, with the LDS church and the, and the word of wisdom, it's like, you just don't drink at all, period. Right. Um, and that's because it's, it's, it's verboten. It's bad. It's horrible. You know, it, it will, it will keep you out of the temple and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, so there's kind of like this heavy uh, emphasis on t- emphasis put on teetotaling. Right. And you know, I've found that I, I enjoy having a beer, and I enjoy having a beer with friends. As as a dad, I've been a prop dad for the marching band, and you know, when uh, when we have an evening after we've spent uh, several hours after work building props, and our kids are still doing band practice, sometimes we have an opportunity to sneak away to the tavern and have dinner together, and then have a beer together, and Some of those times with, with those, uh, male friends are some of the best times I've ever had in my life. And I think back to when I was a Latter day Saint, I would go on a trip for a business conference and there would be, you know, a social gathering afterwards where there would be alcohol served and I would, you know, be standing there with my water, uh, amongst a group of people all drinking a beer and, People that I work with, colleagues, and it was usually pretty awkward because people didn't understand why you were just drinking water. And um, you know, I say, I say all that because I think it's it's important to talk about that. It's important for for people to understand that there is freedom in Christ, but there's also responsibility and conscience, and and you have to pay attention to those sorts of things. I'll just
1: throw something in real quick too, real quick, and I'll let you you talk, Matthew. But uh, sure. you know, I actually I choose not to drink um personally i have i have had a few drinks i've had a few too many i haven't been drunk but you know it's not because i think i'm a better person than anybody else it's simply because i'm addicted to soda i have a sweet tooth i don't really like alcohol that much you know i prefer me a, a dr pepper but that's just me but i don't know what were you gonna say matthew <laughs>
2: I could just see you passed out on the couch, like with the Dr. Pepper, you know, like in your hand. You got it drooling down your mouth. You <laughs> so hung over on Dr. Pepper.
1: <laughs> it has the word "doctor" in it. How bad for you could it be?
2: Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Dr. Pepper's fine, but you start getting into the Dr. Thunder, you know, like they got their PhDs from like a, a diploma mill. You got to be careful. Yeah. Those knockoff brands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mr. Pibb doesn't even have a degree. <laughs>
1: hey, hey, don't you dare say anything bad about Mr. Pibb.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I was I was going to mention really quickly. Um, yeah, typically when we talk about Christian liberty, we've, we've talked about you know freedom in Christ, and that's kind of the term is Christian liberty. And Christian liberty is where nothing is really stated in Scripture to be forbidden or wrong. You know, it's kind of up to your conscience to whether you want to do it or not. So, you know, that's pretty much what we've been talking about this whole time. But what's actually interesting is scripture actually uh, it actually encourages you to drink wine with gladness. So, in Ecclesiastes 9:7, I'll quote that. It says, "Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do." Uh also Psalm 104 uh 14. Let's see. Okay. You co- so Psalm 104 is, is a psalm praising God. Um, like many of the Psalms are. So starting with verse 14, you cause the grass, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Um, So, I mean, we see there, you know, wine, I think wine used in moderation, as we've said, because drunkenness is a sin in moderation and used to the glory of God is a good thing. So it is interesting that and I and I came up with all kinds of crazy ways, as a Latter Day Saint, to get around that. You know, like I tried to say, well, the wine that they drank was always non alcoholic. You know, it was basically like Welch's grape juice. <laughs> Although <laughs> I, <laughs> I never said that, but you know, that's kind of the argument I was saying. Um, uh, but it's interesting because one investigator that I taught in uh, in France, he owned a bar. And so we're like, oh man, this is gonna be rough. You know, this is this guy's livelihood. (laughs) You know, we're asking him to basically, you know, sell his bar if he converts and you know get another job. Uh, And he asks us that. He asks, you know, you know, if if alcohol is a sin, then why was the first uh, miracle that Jesus performed was to turn water into wine? And we were like, well, you know, it could mean one of multiple things. You know, it could have been non-alcoholic and stuff like that. But but then you know later I I read that the same word that's used to speak of turning water into wine is is um, is spoken of in, uh, let's see, uh, I think it's the Ephesians passage, where it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead f- be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 5.18. I think it's the same word for wine. So it's like, okay, well, how do you get drunk on non-alcoholic wine? <laughs> so, uh, um, <laughs> same um,
0: way drunk, you get drunk, drunk, drunk on Dr. with Pepper. happiness,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the same way.
1: <laughs> you know, what's interesting, though, is the, uh, the Joseph Smith translation also says that jesus turned water into wine
2: it's interesting well okay i don't want to get into a whole discussion on the word of wisdom but that's yeah there's a lot of history history behind that um, yeah. but anyways anyways we, we've kind of talked a lot about this so sorry to kind of driving this home but but like i think but yeah i, I agree with paul you know occasionally i'll have a beer and um, not to get drunk just because I, I really enjoy the flavor it's taken me a while to get used to it because it is bitter and different but you just find so many different flavors and and kinds of of ales and loggers and all kinds of stuff that, that are interesting to try. And yeah, as long as you're as long as you can handle you know, as long as you're doing it in moderation, there's nothing sinful about it. So that's that's one really great benefit of being free in Christ is that you don't have to constantly be thinking in your head, okay, there's a checklist of things I can't do. I just can't screw up on that or else I'm out of the kingdom.
1: Paul, how would you say your view of justice has changed since you became a Christian?
0: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question. So um, you know, when it, when it comes to justice, uh, when I was a Latter day Saint, I thought very much like you see Latter day Saints, uh, thinking on, on, on the boards we discuss things on, right? It's, it's like, um, the whole idea that if, if God doesn't give everyone a chance to hear about the gospel, then he's not just, right? And I remember, kind of when this when this flipped for me, it was when I when I very first started attending uh, the Bible seminary where where I went, um, we were studying through I was an introduction to theology course. And um, we were studying through Dr. Jack Cottrell's theology book. It's called The Faith Once for All Bible Doctrine for Today. And uh, I would definitely recommend it. Um, because I think he does a fabulous job. Laying out the the biblical uh, evidence for the various theological topics that he covers, but um, he he talks about God being love, right, and he also talks about God being holy, right, and that these these two attributes of God are um, are important to keep in mind as you talk about um, salvation and and justice, right. And he gives, he gives kind of an illustration where he says, you know, um, because God is holy, right? Meaning perfectly morally upright and good, right? Because God is holy and humans sin, right? God's holiness leads to jealousy because when humans sin, they're placing something else above God, right? God's holiness leads to wrath. Um, but because God is also love, God's love drives him to act, react towards sinners with mercy, right, and offer salvation, right. So justice plays into both uh, salvation and condemnation. And, and as a Latter Day Saint, the idea that justice would play into condemnation in any way, I think, was probably um, something I didn't really grasp or 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 think was 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 possible, right. But when you understand the gospel, when you understand that we all are deserving of of death, as the Bible says, right? And none of us, no one does good, not one, right? You understand that, that we're all under condemnation um, unless you are among the saved, unless you are among those who have been drawn by God to his son and saved by his mercy and grace, right? So, um, justice plays into both salvation and condemnation. And, and as Latter-day Saint, I would have, I would have only focused on how justice plays into salvation, right. And argued, well, if, if God doesn't give everyone a chance, then he's not just, but, um, but it's that, it's that way that, that justice, you know, justice plays into condemnation as well, because everyone is deserving of death. Um, that, that kind of flipped it and allowed me to see things in a different way. All right, Matthew. What do you what do you think?
2: Yeah, Paul touched on a lot of stuff that I was thinking. Um, I'm trying to articulate what I'm what I've got in mind, but um, yeah, as, as a Latter Day Saint, I think I understood. There's a passage in Alma. I think it's maybe Alma 32, where it talks about how God is both the just God and a merciful God. Um, and I always liked that as a Latter Day Saint. Uh, that that phraseology, that passage, and I mean, it's it's a completely biblical concept that. That God is just and merciful so um so I think I think I agree with Paul that I had some concept of of, uh, of these things but I'm trying to I'm trying to put myself in my own mindset of all the way back then but but it seemed like what what I wanted to touch on kind of is like it always felt like even though I was a Latter-day saint even though I was baptized uh, I received the Melchizedek priesthood I was endowed you know I was on the right path you know I felt like this is the truth I was on the right path I was trying to follow Jesus best I could I felt like I was always within the grasp of justice. Like, like I was never really safe, you know? Um, like I was, like we touched on, uh, like I was always in danger of losing God's mercy and being subject to his wrath and his justice at any moment. So, when you understand the gospel and that, and that Christ completely saves you, he pulls you out of that fire and you're safe in him and knowing that there's nothing you can do to get out of his grasp, it's just a completely different view of justice at least I think because I understand that the justice for my sins was already paid for in Christ. It's all taken care of in him and God may rebuke, he may chastise, but he does that lovingly as a loving father to draw us to, to him in repentance again. so but but as far as the demands of justice, as Paul said, we deserve death for our sins against God, that's been taken care of in Christ. By, and, and by his mercy, that, that, that payment of that. That's why when we talk about salvation, we can think of it in different ways. We think of it as paying for a ransom. Um, let me read uh, Colossians 2 really quick. Uh, it's a passage that I really like. So, verse 13 in chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So it says here that um, there's various ways to translate this, but um, the way the ESV translates it is canceling the record of debt. The, uh, the idea is that there's this debt that we owe because of our sin, and the payment for that is death. But what Jesus did is he took that record, he took that debt, and he nailed it to the cross. He paid that debt. And so... Um, when we're saved, when we're justified through faith in Christ, that payment is applied to us, and it's never brought up again, you know? It's never it's never like God is adding to that, like, oh, you messed up today, so I'm going to keep adding to that debt, so you've got to find a way to pay that off. It's like it's all paid for. And so, um, yeah, so justice is, so justice and condemnation is not something that we keep adding on to us time and time again, you know, like kind of like I felt like as a saying, like, you're truly free, and that payment is truly paid for. It's not like Jesus gives you a loan and then you got to slowly pay it back a little bit over time by your good works or whatever it's like it's paid for it's done you're free
1: yeah yeah absolutely um you know I've been trying to put myself back in that mindset too and sometimes it's hard to put yourself back in that mindset because you just don't know how to think that way anymore after you transition out of the church but one of the things that I remember thinking a lot is that I didn't want to admit, that I was actually sinning. Um, and you see this a lot with Latter-day Saints, but they'll say, uh, oh, I made a mistake. You know, they'll say that it was a mistake or they slipped up. They try to avoid that sin word and, and try to avoid taking responsibility. And the idea is just completely different because, you know, you've, you view yourself as a literal child of God and that you are naturally good, you know? Uh and that you might do some bad things here and there, but you're improving. You're you're living up to your destiny. And actually, just I'd forgotten all about this. I just remembered it while you were talking, Matthew. But I'd, I'd written this book of biblical defense of Mormonism, and there was a a chapter in there where I was basically mocking uh, the justice of the biblical God. <laughs> you know, mocking the idea of an eternal punishment for something that we did in mortality because I, I actually said that it was the equivalent of a child yelling at his father in a moment of anger and saying i hate you dad and then being locked in his room for the rest of his life i just thought that that was completely unfair um completely unjust for god to punish us eternally for some bad choices that we made during, I don't know, like a 60 or 70 year lifespan, if that makes sense. And my viewpoint has completely changed on that. You know, I don't think that people are naturally good. I think that some people are better than others, maybe, um, compared to other humans. You know, I don't, I don't think we're all Hitler or, or anything like that, but by God's standard, we are all wretched sinners in our own right. And, and we don't go to to hell eternally because we are because we make some bad choices. We we're punished eternally because we are eternally sinners unless we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and, and we are regenerated through Him. Uh, but but another thought that that came to my mind too is if there is no punishment, if there's no real punishment, then mercy means nothing because what are we really being saved from if there's not if there's not a a grave punishment awaiting the
0: wicked um yeah that's good insight that's good insight can i can i interject here and kind of send us on a tangent th- let's do it so what would you say because we we the three of us have talked quite a bit about you know that we're all deserving of of condemnation right and that's that's the biblical teaching what would you say to someone who um, thinks that that's harsh, thinks that that represents a uh, angry, capricious God.
1: I would say I would say that you can find that woven through the scriptures statements that just seem so radical. You know, for instance, he says, in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right hand offends you, cut it off and cast it away from you. If your right eye offends you, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better, that you should enter into heaven maimed than that your whole body should be cast into hell. So he's he's basically you know, saying that just a small sin is enough to condemn us to hell. And if you really believe that God is holy, um, then it, even the Book of Mormon says, so I'm assuming it would be an LDS critic, but even the Book of Mormon says that God cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance um, and that he can't save us in sin. And in that regard, I think that it is congruent with what the Bible, what the Bible teaches. I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, uh, you know, if we, uh until the law passes away, not one jot or one tittle of the law, not one iota of the law will pass away. So if we break one iota of the law, then we are condemned. And that makes perfect sense coming from a holy God. I would expect nothing less because if a God can look upon sin with some allowance and say, "Oh well, you know, he sinned, you know, five percent less this week than last week," um, or, if, or if God is impressed with a spiritual report card of an A minus, he's not a holy God at all. Okay, thanks,
0: Michael. Matthew, what would you say?
2: Yeah, I think Michael did great, and, and when you see all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. There are many times where God does show mercy when people mess up, but there's also many times where God demonstrates his his justice. And um one example that I always that always come to mind is Aaron's sons. So Aaron had four sons. I don't remember all their names, (laughs) but I do know that uh so God commanded Moses to anoint Aaron to be the priest of this new of this priesthood. And and then he gave him commands to bring them into the temple, and I think it was for seven days. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, where they were kind of anointing Aaron's sons to be priests to, to fulfill their their role in the temple in the tabernacle. And uh, so they were they were doing their duties. And then um, it says that they offered strange fire on the altar. They offered strange fire on the altar, and uh, God consumed those two sons in their in their sin and in, in in doing what was not commanded by God. So. Despite the fact that they were, you know, they tried their their best to do what God commanded them, but they messed up in that one thing. That was enough for God to consume them. And then later, uh, Aaron's two other sons, I think they were also um, during their offerings in the tabernacle, and I think they ate an offering that they weren't supposed to, or it was the opposite. They were they didn't eat it when they were supposed to. And then, uh, you know, uh, Aaron begged for mercy because he already lost two sons. He didn't want to lose his other two. And so God granted mercy, and he didn't and he didn't. Um, he didn't consume those other two sons, so we see there that you know God he takes his commandments and his law very seriously, and uh, we see through all, all throughout Scripture God enforcing his his holiness. Uh, there's a really great book, R.C. Sproul, "The Holiness of God," uh, and I really recommend everybody read it if they get a chance because it just really puts into perspective um, who the holiness of God and, and why he's holy and why it's important. Um, something he would always that R.C. Sproul would bring up a lot is. Also, with uh, when, the, when, when they were transporting the tabernacle, uh, the Levites were transporting it, and the, you have these kind of like wooden s- sticks that you would use to carry the tabernacle everywhere you go. And uh, in the story, uh, they, were, they were carrying it, and then it fell on the ground. And uh, Uzzah, I think his, his name was, U-Z-Z-A-H, he went to go grab the, the tabernacle because he didn't want it to be defiled by touching the ground. And, and because he thought it would be better t- for him to touch it than for it to touch the ground. And, uh, and he died because of that. God killed him for that. And, um, it was, bec- and it was a demonstration of God showing that we are sinful creatures and the ground is much more holy than even we are. So for us to think that we are some, that we are naturally good people or, or you know, good creatures by nature. You know that we're not deserving a punishment or or anything like that. It's demonstrated all throughout Scripture that that we're we're sinful because of the fall, and we really don't deserve anything but but punishment for for our sins against God. We in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, as as Michael is referring to, it just goes into detail. It, it's not something brand new because this was taught in the law, but Jesus was kind of bringing people back to what the intent of the law was it wasn't just to give you a checklist to say okay i'm good you know i'm keeping all these 613 commandments you know i'm, I'm a good jew he was trying to show them the, like no if you even lust after a woman in your heart you've already committed adultery he's trying to show that there's so many ways that we can sin and john calvin said that you know our heart isn't as is a factory of idols and i just love that imagery you know i just see your heart as like a factory pumping out idols you know, just in a big factory line, and it's true. We just have so many different ways that we sin. Um, so to say that you know that the God is evil or, or angry for punishing us is completely wrong. We have it's completely flipped. It's all about it's all about why would God be so mean to us when really we should be asking why does God even show us mercy at all? We don't deserve any mercy. So for God to show us any mercy at all, and for Him to give us as much mercy as He does, is it should really humble us and, and thank God for the mercy that he that he does offer.
1: Amen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let me jump into this next question. It's a, a shorter one, but um let me ask you this first, Matthew. Is there a passage of scripture that helped your transition into the correct gospel?
2: Yeah, so I already read Romans three and Parts of three and four, so I won't read those. But those definitely, I I, I remember uh, standing at the street corner waiting for the bus to. I think I was going to church, and I was reading James White's "The God Who Justifies," and I was trying to understand all these concepts, you know, justification by faith alone, imputation of righteousness, all these things. And I just remember reading his explanation of that, as, along with how I had been reading Romans myself, and it just like all clicked for me. and I was just like, this just makes so much sense. You know, I, I can't I can't do it myself. So. Uh, we have to trust in Christ. That's how we're made righteous. So that, uh, Roman, the Romans specifically, the first four or five chapters definitely. Um, John six also I mentioned briefly. Um, I'll read v- from verse thirty five. Says Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will. Ne- I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That passage really, I remember reading that alongside watching James White's uh, dividing line, and I was trying to refute what he was teaching about John 6, you know. Uh, I had my King James Bible in front of me, and I was watching it with him, and I'm like, I can't I can't really say what he's trying to say, right? And I, But I couldn't refute it. It just made sense. Jesus says in uncertain terms, God has sent me to perform a mission. I'll save all that he has given me. He says, those who look on the Son and believe will have eternal life, you know, period, end of story. You know, baptism and, and um, the ordinances, all the things that the LDS Church told you needed to have, you know, it, it's, it's just irrelevant. It says everyone that looks on the sun and believes in Him would have eternal life. Uh, quickly, I'll go to Ephesians 2 also. I know a lot of Christians quote that when they're uh, witnessing to Latter-day Saints, but, you know, sometimes you'll read it and be like, okay, yeah, 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 I get what you're trying to say. But, you know, it's not until really God opened my eyes and really under- to understand what it was saying that it really touched my heart and really help me understand the gospel, uh, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So uh, we'll talk about this in the antinomian question, but we're saved by grace through faith, and not of our own, is the gift of God. So when I was stressing out about doing enough, and serving my callings enough, and this and that, I just read this and it just clicked that it's not about what I do; it's about what God does. And when I was still kind of trying to understand all this, I thought to myself, "Okay, well, if Christians say this is true, then it's either got to be all of grace or it's not correct." So, I mean, I still I, I believe that's true. You know, it took me a while to really believe it, but um, but yeah, it's uh, salvation is all by God's grace. It's not about what we do. So, those are those are the three main passages I would say: John six, Ephesians two. Uh, Romans 1 through 5.
0: All right. Thanks for sharing. What about you, Paul? Yeah, there, there's a lot, Um, but I'm just going to kind of touch on two. So I, I want to offer an encouragement to anyone who may be transitioning um, from the LDS church to being a Christian. Um, it's not like you have this sudden moment of enlightenment, right, where uh, everything that you didn't see in the Bible previously suddenly makes sense. It, it happens over time as the Holy Spirit enlightens you. And one of the, one of the times that happened for me was, was with Romans chapter five. Um, Michael, I, I talked about in our episode about, uh, the Bible, how you had, uh, started the group, the Mormon Grace Project to try to get uh, evangelical, uh, evangelical Christians to read the Book of Mormon with you while you were still Mormon. And that I was kind of a curmudgeon in that, in that group. Um, and, and be, I think because of that, I don't know, you have, you have to tell me why you did it, but maybe because I was kind of a curmudgeon, you, you asked me to, uh, after, you know, we worked through the Book of Mormon, you asked me to, someone had suggested to, to read through a book of the Bible too. And, and you asked me to, to kind of lead a, a discussion on Romans as we worked through that. And, I was going through, you know, I wasn't going to seminary at the time and, you know, a lot, many Christians don't go to uh, Bible seminary and, and, and receive an advanced degree in, in biblical studies. Um, but I was like seriously studying and learning as I was working up those posts for that group. And I was reading through Romans and Romans chapter five. Um, it's interesting here because, uh, Paul does hear. What he does in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Where he's like, um, because of the one man, this, and because of the other man, this, right? Like, like he does with, um, resurrection with, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, which, which is a Latter day Saint, uh, missionary, especially you quote all the time, right? To talk about resurrection, right? For as an Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, right? Yep. Well, Paul does the same, <laughs> Paul does the same thing in here in Romans 5. And I was reading through it, prepping a post for that group, and I and I recognized that Paul was doing this similar thing, right? And I was and I was thinking, oh, you know, it was early in the morning. I was like, oh, he's con- this is this is the passage on resurrection, right, right, right. But it's not. He, but he's doing the same thing here. So I'll start in um, verse 17 of Romans 5. It says, for if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they re- they which receive abundance of grace. And of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of the one, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And because I was looking for that, because I was I was sleepy and I was looking for that First Corinthians fifteen passage right in Romans nine and didn't find it. I was really paying attention to what Paul was saying there and it was like oh, I suddenly got it. Whereas by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There's that exchange I talked about earlier, right? So yeah, that was that was one that completely flipped for me. Um, and then the other one is, you know, it's 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 seeing the gospel of grace in Jesus' parables, right? I remember being on my LDS mission in Hungary and reading through the parable of the laborers in the vineyard and reading it as advice to not be judgmental, right? But as you read through it with new life and new eyes, you see something completely different. And it says... For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Though these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, "And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day." But he answered one of them, "I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last. If I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you, don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last." And I remember reading this, um, a few years back and realizing, you know, that it's a, it's a parable of grace, right? We talked earlier about deathbed repentance and, and those who would, who would be coming to Christ in their last moments or later in their life. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a parable of, Hey, don't be judgmental. Um, it's a, it's a demonstration of, of God's grace, right? Uh, No matter when you come, uh, no matter how you come, when you're drawn to Christ, you receive the same salvation, the same freedom, the same grace, the same mercy, the same everything that is promised to all believers.
1: Amen. Amen to that. Um, So I just wanted to share two verses um, as well. First is, is in Hebrews. I mean, Hebrews, the whole book is just, it's just amazing to read. It's, it's kind of difficult, you know, as a letter say, it was hard for me to read through it because the, the style was just different from what I was used to, uh, but there was one particular verse that kind of put the nail in the coffin when I was coming close to transitioning out of the church, and that was Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, talking about the, uh, the atonement of Christ, but he says, for by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And in the LDS mindset, you are not perfect until after that sanctification. But according to Hebrews 10.14, you are perfect while that sanctification is still ongoing. And that was something that really, you know, I couldn't make it fit into the LDS mindset. Uh, There was another verse that uh That a Christian shared with me while I was on my mission, and that was Matthew nine thirteen, where Jesus says, "Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And I didn't know what that meant, but it grated on me for a long time, for my whole mission, and then a decade after, there was just something about that verse. That just put a pebble in my shoe and I couldn't, I couldn't forget about it. And I know now what that pebble entailed because what I believed in in Mormonism was a gospel of sacrifice. Not a gospel of imputation, but a gospel of amputation. That I had to amputate all the sin from my life. That I had to sacrifice all my time, energy, and talents. Uh, for the benefit of the church, uh, Joseph Smith said that a religion that did not require the sacrifice of all things never had the power, uh, had sufficient power to to bring us to eternal life. Uh, but but then there's another gospel that I started to learn about, and that was a gospel of mercy, a a gospel that has nothing to do with how much do we sacrifice in order to to obtain it or to earn it it is something that is given to us freely so those are the two verses that made an impact on my transition
0: all right that's a wrap for this session next week we're going to cover the final few questions that we discussed about salvation the first one next week we'll be talking about how good works play into salvation and why we're not antinomians that's a question that came to us from a listener ross anderson And we'll also talk about whether we ever doubt our salvation and how our view of salvation that we have now has changed our view of Christ. Looking forward to next week. See you then, Fireflies.
2: thank you for tuning in to this episode of the outer brightness podcast we'd like to hear from you you're invited to visit the outer brightness podcast page on facebook feel free to send a message there with comments or suggestions by clicking send a message at the top of the page and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like we also have an outer brightness podcast group on facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast past episodes suggestions for future episodes etc we would love to hear from you and hope to speak with you soon stay bright fireflies You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness Podcast on Apple Podcasts,
1: Google Podcasts, Google Play, CastBox, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or review wherever you listen.
0: Thank you, Fireflies. You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well.
1: Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road at www.adamsroadministry.com.
3: In the past, I believed in my own righteousness. And hope that I was worthy of the blood that Jesus shed But now I know that all the works I did were meaningless Compared with Jesus' lonely death on the cross where He bore sin And now I have the righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus took away the written code with our voice that stood opposed and nailed it there for me. And through the cross, He put to death hostility. And in his body reconciled us to God and brought us peace. And I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer. of the cross. Some demand a sign and some seek to be wise. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block was sun, the foolishness of God. But wiser than the wisest men the power of the cross. May I never boast except cross of our Lord, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, so I take up my cross.